Hello and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online services. We are so excited to have you here today. Please be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And if you wanna watch this message again or some of our other messages, you can always look us up on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the service. Thank you, Pastor Dina. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see your bright, shining faces on this cold morning. Uh, it's good to be back for me. I spent MLK weekend in the beautiful state of Texas, and it was warm, except one day it was 35 and windy, and it was just my luck to be looking at a palm tree with a winter jacket on. So I brought the weather with me. Pleased to be back, though, and I'm glad I can be able to share God's word with you today. Uh, I hear Mrs. Conway, Pastor Paul's mom, is watching, so big shout out to her. Yes. Uh, Pastor Paul, uh, he's been navigating some health challenges with his dad, so please keep the Conway family in prayer. Uh, they really do merit it on your behalf. Uh, I remember when my mother got sick and I had to move her across the country, one of the few people that gave me a call was Pastor Paul's dad. And he called me and said, Dylan, I'm so sorry what you're going through. And I want you to know, I, I want to financially help your mom get across the country. And he would never want me to share that because he is not the type of guy who wants attention. But he is one of those people that you can look at. The Conways are one of those families you can look at and say, they're just good people. And so they need your prayers. So lift them up if you would. Remember them this week. Uh, I'm picking up our series today on the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 16 of Luke chapter 4. You can turn there now if you want to, but I'm going to give a little bit of recap and background. Uh, as you heard last week, Jesus walked through a period of intense temptation. Much like you and I face, he's now stepping into a period of service or a period of ministry. And I'd like to say right from the gate that not every stretch of your life is going to look the same. For Jesus, he exits a period of temptation and begins to step into a period of ministry. Whatever season or period you find yourself in, my encouragement for you from the gate is to keep moving forward because not every season of your life is going to look the same. You're not stuck here forever. Today, we move into what Jesus has been preparing for his entire life. I don't know if you've ever had that sense of anticipation or eagerness that you could barely contain, that kind of excitement for something that you've kind of waited forever for. A new job, maybe, or an engagement, or a marriage, a promotion at work, a new home, or having a baby. Those moments in our lives that feel really important and monumental. And today is that moment for Jesus. It's why he came. It's his manifesto, or his mission statement, if you will. It's the beginning of the reason that the Father has put him on the planet. And his mission is incredibly good news for every single one of us. If you get one thing out of today, I hope it's this, that God desires to be favorable to you. God desires to be favorable to you. So let's read our passage together, and then we're going to pray. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 21. You can turn there. You can listen to me. I'll give you a second if you want to turn there, if you have your own Bible. But it's Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16, Luke 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue 
on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is God's word. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. I pray that your word would accomplish what you intend it to accomplish today. You said that your word never returns to you fruitless, and it doesn't come through void. So I pray that it would produce fruit in the listeners and in me today. And God, I pray that your word, you, send you, you said you send it out to heal people. So today I pray that healing and restoration would happen because your word has been spoken. I pray you'd be high and lifted up, Jesus, and you would draw all people to yourself. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Verse 16 starts by saying, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom. And he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Jesus was a man of habits. This passage says that Jesus was a regular in his place of worship, and it's a constant theme, not only in this church, but in the scriptures themselves from cover to cover, that we need each other, and we need to worship together. Most of us would like to think, perhaps, that faith is a private affair, but it is not. You're only as strong as the people who are around you, and you are a smaller part of a larger community, which is why I encourage you, be a part of a small group. Get together with people you may not even necessarily agree with. Take somebody out. Get to know them. Share your story, as Pastor Paul says. Have a coffee, and let them bear your burdens as you bear theirs. Because the community you're in shapes you for better or worse. And it's no surprise that Jesus was in a community that regularly listened to the Word of God. Now, it's a flawed community, as we'll see soon. But they spoke God's Word nonetheless. We saw last week that one of the primary ways that you resist temptation is by having God's Word in your heart and on your tongue. And now we see where Jesus picked that up. He was habitually in a place where he could hear the word. Now listen, God is bigger than your failures and your sins, and he can completely turn your life around. But oftentimes the way he shows, uh, the way he helps us is by helping us rightly order our lives. Oftentimes God blesses me in big moments beyond my control, but he is equally interested in helping me develop habits that lead to blessing. Maybe before God launches you into what he has for you, he just wants to be connected to you for a while. He wants you to be connected to the vine and just be with him before you do for him. And he does that through little habits, little customs. What are your customs? If I took a look at your life and took away your words and just had your habits to observe, what would they say about you? Where would those habits place you and who would they place you with? What do your customs say about what you value? And I don't mean to discourage you. I hope that an honest inventory and examination of your life reveals something that God may want to speak to you for your good. 
In verse 16, it says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. Jesus was a man of habits, of prayer, of the word, of communities of faith and of service. Uh, My therapist kind of talks about it this way. The way you avoid things that you don't want to do is not to try to not think about them. I'm not going to eat the pizza. I'm not going to eat the pizza. That's real high stakes when you have lactose intolerance, by the way. I'm not going to eat the pizza. That's not how you overcome that. All you end up thinking about is the thing. The way you stop things is by filling your life with good things, good habits, good customs, good rhythms. And my therapist calls it the bullseye. You can throw that up if you'd like. You have the red center, which are these destructive behaviors you do not want to hit. You want to avoid these things. These things ruin your life. They tear down your connection to God. These are things that absolutely lead you off track. And then you have this yellow zone that surrounds it. And this is what he calls that warning strip when you're falling asleep on the highway a little bit and you start to coast and you hear the do-do-do-do-do-do and it wakes you back up. That's the yellow strip. These are the people, the places, the things that lead you to places you don't want to go. They're not the behavior, but they're certainly not helpful. And then you have this green zone on the outside, this green ring. And this ring protects you from wandering into the yellow and red zone. You want this ring to be full of good habits, good things, good hobbies, enjoyments that fill your life with meaning, joy, and purpose. In short, you need customs. You need the habits, rhythms, and customs that God has installed to make your life better. And there are more than I could mention here today, but perhaps one way that you could begin to emulate or mirror Jesus is simply by worshiping on the Sabbath day with other believers, if that is not already your custom, by placing yourself in communities of faith where you could be built up. That's a place to start. And in those everyday activities you may just find that they're the vehicle through which God starts to be gracious to you. The lead singer of U2, Bono, once said, stop asking God to bless you and start doing what God blesses. There are many things God may want to give you, but right now perhaps you just need to be a person of habits and customs. Partner with God to carve out the capacity, the character needed, so that you can handle his favor in a way that's honorable. Because God desires to be favorable to you, and you can begin to live a life that can handle that blessing. And he'll help you do that. He's not against you. He will empower you to build the scaffolding, the skeletal structure, to hold up a life worth living. Part of God's favor to you is him helping you to develop the mechanisms that maintain a blessed life. His Spirit working within us helps us to be the kind of people that can handle blessing, just like Jesus. Jesus goes on to state His purpose and begins His work of preaching in verses 17 to 21, and He quotes Isaiah chapter 61. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now this may be the shortest sermon in church history. One sentence. If Jesus was your pastor, you'd be done in ten seconds. Well... Unfortunately for you, I'm your speaker this morning, and I need a bit more time than that. But what I'd like to do 
with my time remaining is to examine the individual elements of Jesus' mission statement and see what his purpose was. Jesus is basically saying, this is why I came. This is why I'm here. And I can think of no better place to answer the question, why did Jesus come? He could have selected any, any scripture, and he chooses this one to describe why he came to this earth. He came to do these things. And I believe we'll find God's favor when we're partnering with him to accomplish these things. So let's take a look at what they are. Verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. What was Jesus' purpose? First, he's been anointed by God to proclaim good news to the poor. If you pay attention all throughout Luke's gospel and the book of Acts, which Luke wrote, by the way, Luke is constantly drawing attention to the poor. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the book of Luke, it says, Blessed are the poor. Whereas in Matthew, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. I think sometimes Jesus got specific when he spoke, so we didn't over-spiritualize everything. See, you can be poor in spirit on a yacht, and you still have a boatload of money. That was a pretty good pun, right? You like that? I thought it was. It's like such a dad joke. I'm ready for fatherhood now. But when you're poor... You have even the illusion of power, influence, and control stripped away from you. And Jesus calls that a blessed state. The good news to the poor is this. They can see the kingdom of heaven more clearly because there's so little that they have here and now. I know plenty of spiritual, generous, godly, rich people. God is not against the rich. Abraham was wealthy. Uh, Job was wealthy. David was wealthy. Boaz was wealthy. But God doesn't give blanket endorsements based on socioeconomic class. He does, however, say that it is blessed to be able to see past the deceitfulness of riches to true wealth. And oftentimes, material wealth gets in the way of that. Consider what Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You could add not many are rich. God chose what is low and despised in the world so that no human being might boast in his presence. God is especially concerned for the poor. And that's why this church is. Part of the mission statement for Christ's life was to bring hope to the poor. And that's a part of this church's mission, and it's one that I hope you embrace for your own life. Imagine how empty you would feel if all you had at the end of your life were possessions, bigger houses, more houses, more comfort, more stuff. When most people look at ancient Egypt, they probably think it's ridiculous to be buried with all your gold trophies, foods, and cats. And yet most Americans live like that's going to be the case. I do, however, wish I get to be uh, buried with... uh, Luna and Emmy, my two favorite cats on the planet. Yes, I do love them. God desires to be favorable to you. And it's not simply for your own gratification and security. Life is enjoyable, but simple enjoyment is not the point. When I used to fundraise for rehabilitation centers, the most generous neighborhoods near New York City where I was were the poor neighborhoods. 
The poor would give because they were the hungriest for change. They know that this world is not cutting it for them, where the rich wouldn't even open a door. One of the qualities of a blessed life, a life favored by God, is managing our wealth in a way that makes a difference for others, not to radically improve our standard of living. And if you're doing well, share with those who are not. If you're prospering, help others prosper. Jesus said this, Give in a way where your right hand can't keep track of what your left hand is doing. Because maybe that's the window to new hope for somebody else. And the opportunity for them to hear about the hope that you have in Christ. And when they ask the question, why would you do this for me? Give them a better vision than a life of material blessing alone. Proclaim good news to the poor. The good news that you have a treasure hidden in a field, a more abiding possession, a more valuable reward than money, and they can have it too. Go downtown and serve with Serve Our City. Give of your time. Give without thought of reward. Remember the poor when you prosper, and you'll find a life favored by God. God said to Abraham, I bless you to be a blessing to the nations. And he says in Proverbs, the one who gives to the poor lends to me. And I promise you, God has a better repayment strategy than an aggressive investment portfolio with much better payouts. Next, Jesus says he's been anointed to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. One of my favorite films of all time is the 2012 version of the musical Les Mis. I like musicals, sue me. One of the heroes in the film is, is Marius. He's a law student who thinks his revolution is going to change the world, and instead it leads to the death of someone he dearly loves. If you're mad about that spoiler, by the way, the book's been out since 1862, so, I mean, whose fault is it really? In the end, he sings a song of regret saying, Oh, my friends, my friends, don't ask me what your sacrifice was for. Empty chairs at empty tables where my friends will sing no more. The political radical was tamed by loss and love and perhaps realizes that his definition of liberty was too narrow. Many people have tried to twist this statement of Jesus, liberty to the captives, into a license for political violence and revolution called liberation theology. And nothing could be farther from the truth, and that is an abomination in the sight of Christ our Lord. Our Lord was clear, those who will live by the sword will die by the sword. Political freedoms are good, but they are not ultimate. And if our rights are taken away in this country, we ought to say along with the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 34, we joyfully accept the plundering of our property because we have a better possession, an abiding one. The government cannot strip anything from me. No, Jesus means a liberation here from something far more sinister than corrupt rulers, a liberation from the penalty of sin. In Greek, every other time the word liberty is used by Luke in the Bible, it is always in association with the forgiveness of sins. Hey, there's a ladybug. <laughs> Bye, ladybug. Good thing I don't believe in luck. All right. Squirrel. Anyway, forgiveness of sins coming back. You see, our main enemy 
is not what's outside of us. It's not a political party. It's not some evil policy. It is not some nation. It's what's inside of us that's the enemy. You can fix governments. You can fix systems. You can fix policies. And we humans will ruin paradise in a day before it's began. Why? Because our greatest ailment lies within us. When Jesus talks about his purpose here on earth, it is not to establish physical kingdoms. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. He will one day overthrow every nation on this earth to set up his rule and his reign. But his purpose was to liberate people from the tyrant called sin and give them a more lasting freedom than a merely political one. His purpose is to transform the hearts and minds of people to prepare them for a better coming kingdom. Jesus' purpose was to take away sin's power over people's lives, including yours. You are no longer spiritually bound to the sinful nature inside of you because the blood of Christ has broken the bond and set you free from the control of the enemy. You are not obligated to obey your compulsions anymore because Christ has given you power by His Holy Spirit to be liberated from the captivity of sin. What was Christ's mission? It was to suffer that you might be free. When Marius and Les Mis sings in despair to his friends who died, don't ask me what your sacrifice is for. Christ walked into sacrifice with eyes wide open, knowing that he aimed to free his brothers and sisters, you and I, from this present evil age. And we are called to mirror him in that way. Most of us love the idea that Jesus suffered for me. But part of following Christ is embracing the way he operated. And we like to ignore Bible verses like Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 25 that say, Now I rejoice in my sufferings because I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction that you might know God's word fully. What is lacking in what Jesus did? Your contribution to it. God has made his mission contingent on your participation in it. We don't save people. But we are charged to carry Christ to people. And sometimes that means passing through hardship the way Jesus passed through the cross to get to the empty tomb. God desires to be favorable to you. And sometimes blessings can seem harsh and come in unexpected packages. Sometimes it comes in triumphs and beautiful moments, but sometimes it comes through difficulties and sufferings. You find true blessing by embracing all the good and bad of life as part of God's story for you. By trusting the author of life as worthy of your faith as he writes your story. Jesus embraced his mission while seated in the synagogue the same as he did while he hung on the cross. And you can find God's favor whether you're in plenty or lack, victory or defeat, highs and lows. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. And the hardships of life are not a sign of God's disfavor over you. 
He has disarmed the devil's weapons against you. And now they serve as redemptive parts of your story, just as they did for Jesus, even if it goes all the way to death. Through his suffering, we can see our suffering more clearly as something that is not final, something that is not punishment, but our suffering is something that serves the glory of God and our good. We can even be grateful through it because we know that God is faithful. I've been here a little over six years now. Enough time to reflect back and ask myself, where have I been the most effective? And you know, it's funny. It's the tough parts of my life that I feel have been most beneficial to your faith as a congregation. It's actually in my weakness that produces faith in other people, not my strength. In my battle against Crohn's disease, I've been more able to relate to some of your chronic suffering. In my relational struggles, I've better understood some of your loneliness and isolation. In my familial tragedy, I see how God hears me in heartache. And maybe once upon a time, I would have wished all those things away, but now I see the sovereign hand of God, not just for my good, but for some of yours. Sometimes, suffering is the road that God paves to blessing and resurrection. It's not a roadblock between us and God's best. And I think he invites us closer to him in the middle of it by reframing our suffering as something that's part of the deal, yielding something beautiful. If we have the faith to press through it, we can see the favor of God more clearly. Someone asked me this past week in Texas, would you take away your Crohn's disease if you could? Would you choose now to not go through it? And I said, no, not because I don't currently want to be healed from it, but because for the time that I've endured it, it has made me softer to some of your sufferings. It has brought me closer to the Lord. It has helped me understand him better, and it has even blessed me in my hardship. And it's interesting to note that this is a very Hebrew way of thinking. The Hebrew word for gift and burden are actually the same word, simply determined by context. Both your gifts and your burdens are part of God's story for you. And burdens can even be transformed into gifts if you have the faith to see it. If you have the attitude of Christ, willing to go through suffering so that others might be resurrected, but are you willing, like Him, to pick up your cross? Because God desires to be favorable to you, and he's taken the good and the bad into account. And I know of no better way to bring the two together than the outstretched arms of Jesus on the cross, the representation of God flipping evil on its head for the good of those who love him. The scriptures say he works all things together for the good of those who love him, and that is not toxic positivity. That is truth. He doesn't cause it, but he redeems it. And he will give you the strength to endure it. You will see beautiful, redemptive things come out of it if you just keep walking with him. God's favor doesn't always come in the package you will expect, but remember that suffering is oftentimes the road he paves to blessing and resurrection. Jesus ends his quotation. With verse 19, he's been anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Probably what Isaiah and Jesus have in mind here is the Old Testament year called the year of Jubilee, spoken about in Leviticus 25. This was a time when slaves were freed, debts were canceled, properties were returned to their rightful owners, clans and families were reunited. It was a year of peace, rest, and celebration for the Jews that happened about every 50 years. But what all these things have in common is restoration. Jesus identifies himself with a holiday that is meant to set everything right. It's a holiday that's meant to correct wrongs, restore order, relieve debts, and reunite people. If you've ever experienced something like that, you know what restoration feels like. Maybe, maybe a broken relationship is healed and injustice is set right, or a hole too deep for you is filled in out of nowhere. Jesus is saying his purpose is to accomplish things like that. When we get a vision of Christ on the throne in the book of Revelation at the end of history, it says this in Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. Why did Jesus come? He came to restore. Many of you know this about me, but it bears repeating. When I graduated college, I was $85,000 in debt, student debt. It was about $900 a month in student loan payments. It was basically another rent. I, I was crushed and I just I couldn't manage it. And I prayed for a couple of years, and it seemed like I was treading water, and, and nothing was happening. And, and that does more than drain your bank account. That drains your soul and your hope. And I needed a miracle. I didn't know what to do. And God was gracious, favorable to me, and sent me a couple through a mutual friend who believed in the ministry I'm doing and paid off 50000 of it in one day. Now that is jubilee. That's the kind of thing that Jesus aimed to accomplish, to lift burdens too heavy for others to bear. That's why he healed the blind, the leper, the sick, and even raised the dead. He is aiming at lifting things too heavy for us to carry. He wants to do that for you, and that may seem too fantastic or unbelievable to even hope for, but that's what makes it so wonderful. Jesus came to do seemingly to us what is surprising and unexpected. He came to give extraordinary favor. What if you dared to hope for the best again? It's been a really depressing season for a lot of us in life. The last two years have been challenging, disappointing, difficult to say the least. And I think what it's robbed from Christians in particular is that faith-filled buoyancy that we used to have. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not that hopeful disposition. I don't mean that naive optimism, but, but a resilient expectation that God was going to do something incredible because he's really, really good. What if you believed God was more merciful, gracious, and willing to bless you than you thought? What if God wants good for you more than you want it for yourself? Because he's a good father and he knows how to give good gifts to his children. And though we suffer in life, 
that is not our final destination. It's a season to pass through, and there's still beauty to come out the other side of it. God helped me to see that in 2021. It was the best and worst year of my life so far. A wise friend once said to me that wisdom is really learning to hold the good and the bad together at the same time. And it was the hardest and most joyful year. At the beginning of the year, my adoptive dad went to prison after making some really bad choices. And walking with my family through that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And at the end of the year, and this makes me deliriously happy, I met one of the most wonderful human beings on the planet. And she's amazing and unexpected and came at the busiest season of my life. And that was just like God. And in addition to that, <laughs> thank you. In addition to that, I'm able to start graduate school this week without incurring further debt. Thank God. I've seen God's grace at work. What if God's favor to you is far more than you could ask, think, or imagine and left you in awe of how good he is? Because God desires to be favorable to you. And Jesus has come to declare the year of the Lord's favor. And I think that it's that year for some of you. I'm going to invite the worship team back this time. You know, it's harder in the winter, but one of my weekly habits that I try to maintain is going to the beach on my days off on Friday and just walking for a couple of miles and praying for a couple of hours. By the way, just a helpful custom and tip if you're like, how do I pray? This is a month of prayer, right? I know that most of you aren't going to pray an hour a day. Whoa, hello. Hi. <laughs> We're not there yet, guys. No, I'm just, um, most of you aren't going to pray an hour a day. I, you know, I, sometimes I wish that that were the case, but you know what? That's just not real life because life's busy, right? Even if you only pray 10 minutes a day, what I try to do is take one day of the week where I spend extended time with Jesus and make that a priority. And, and I didn't want to go this week. It's Friday. It was 19 degrees at the beach. I wrapped up and I sent a picture to somebody and they said I look like a Mary Did You Know video had my head wrapped up. And I'm so glad that I went. This is the place that I go to pray. And I was feeling a little down and I started to pray and I started to thank God for how good he's been to me. And I walked up on this grassland section that overlooks the mouth of the Merrimack uh, River opening in Newburyport. It's my favorite place to go and stand and pray. And I started to recall all the things that I've prayed for in that spot. And, go, and tears just started coming down my face. I was afraid they were going to freeze, but I just let them come. How I asked for healing in that spot. And Crohn's disease is in remission for me. How I pleaded with God for provision when the majority of my debt is gone. How I cried tears for God to take care of my mother. And now she has a job after being out of work for almost a year. How the Lord spoke to me about having a family of my own one day in that spot. It's easy to forget in times of hardship that God wants to be favorable to us 
But that is the reason Jesus came, to declare God's favor. You know, at his birth, angels sang glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace and goodwill to all mankind. He declares the purpose of his life here and says, I am anointed by God to declare the year of the Lord's favor. And at his death, Paul the Apostle says, through his death and his blood, God has made peace. Northeast Christian Church, it's time for you to hope again. To remember that God is good and look forward with expectancy and not dread, even in terrible circumstances, God is giving good things to his people. And I'm no prophet. I'm not a son of a prophet. But what I can say to you, impression in my heart from the Holy Spirit, I believe, is that it is time that you begin to look forward with hope, faith, and trust again. He's always done this. In really difficult times, God always surprises us by over-the-top goodness. I don't want to be like the people in the rest of this chapter who in the synagogue are more offended by what Jesus has said than they are hopeful of the pronouncement of divine blessing. I don't want to be the kind of person who is so critical and cynical that I fail to lay hold of the blessing and gifts God has put at my feet because I am so distracted by what's wrong in my life that I fail to see what is possible. Let's believe that God still does amazing things in challenging times. I don't know where you're at, but God does. You may be your own worst enemy and need God's help in developing better habits, and he'll do that for you. He wants you to succeed like a dad wants his little son or little daughter to do better. He is not against you. He is your biggest supporter. You may be feeling bound to sin, and his favor is for you. He wants to destroy sin without destroying you. He has set his heart on you to redeem you. And the scriptures say, while you were still his enemy, he died for you. What makes you think now he won't redeem you from the wrath to come? If you'll just get up and ask him. You may be suffering. And God doesn't want you to forget his goodness in your lowest hours. Keep walking with him, and he will bring beauty out of your ashes. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, God waits to be gracious to you. It may not come in your time, it may not come in your way, but it will come. And the scriptures say, you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And you may be so tired you've forgotten how to look forward with hope at all. But I'm here to declare to you the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus makes all things new. And he is able and willing to do that for you. God desires to be favorable to you. And it may look different than you expected, but it's going to be so much more beautiful than you can anticipate if you just keep walking with him in faith and trust the author of life with your story, you will find favor, grace, 
and peace. We're going to end in worship, but before we do that, I want to do something for you that maybe you don't even have the courage to do for yourself. I want to be like the people who lowered the cripple down through the roof to Jesus. Some of you, you're so caught up in the fact if you deserve something, that you failed to recognize that none of you absolutely deserve anything and that the blood of Christ is what merits your blessing. And the blood of Christ covers each and every one of you that has faith in Jesus. Some of you are afraid to pray for blessing. You're afraid to pray that God might be favorable to you. You're stuck in, if it be your will, Lord, rather than somebody who comes boldly to the throne of grace to request help in time of need. And so I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. That you would recognize that Jesus did not come to make you his enemy. He came to those who were his enemy. You and I, in order to be favorable to us and to transform us from enemies into children of God. And so I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray God's blessing over you. Father, I pray the prayer of Jabez over these people, that you would extend the borders of their tent. God, that you would bring them out to wide places for their feet. God, that you would do for them what they can't do for themselves, that you would spare them from pain and suffering. And if they're going through pain and suffering, you would bring them out to the other side whole and more united to you. God, I pray that you would bless them beyond what they can ask, think, or imagine, and that you would give to them perhaps what they haven't deserved, unmerited favor and grace, that you would strengthen them by grace. God, I pray that the abundance of your mercy would be on display for every single person within the sound of my voice, that they would have dreams realized, that they would have sins forgiven, that they would have debts canceled, that they would have restoration to loved ones happening, God, that you would bring into their life miraculous moments that show that you are a God declaring your favor because you came to save the world from sin. And I pray that you would save them from theirs and you would redeem them in abundant mercy and kindness. Resurrect the dead. Heal the sick. Bless the needy. Raise us, Lord, from ashes to beauty. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for being with us today. If you want to watch this or listen to it again, you can always go to YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And for all news and updates about what's happening here at the church, you can go to ne-cc.org or lowellag.org. Thank you and God bless.